Four Against the Void is over, but you can commemorate the trials and triumphs of the Torkoal Tones with the Critical Hit Season 1 Limited Edition t-shirt. This classy red armor slot item features the likenesses of Orem, Randus, Torque, and Smith. The Season 1 shirt is perfect for a night on the town, gaming with friends, or facing down aberrant polydimensional god beings. Funnel cakes and healing potions are not included. Major spoilers, not responsible for excessive levels of awesome. This is your chance to own a piece of critical hit history, because once these shirts are gone, they're gone for good. That's right. You need to order your shirt by December 15th, 2010. Order it today and make each of your rolls a critical hit. Head over to the Major Spoilers store, majorspoilers.com slash store. This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Torre Hatlin, not to be confused with Tora Olaf's daughter of the Justice League, or Brooks Hatlin of the Shawshank Redemption, or Tor Johnson of Plan 9 from Outer Space, or Rondo Hatton, or Tori Amos, or Hotlips Hulahan, or the Cat in the Hatlin, or Torgo from Manos the Hands of Fate, or the Turing Cast of Rent. This one goes out to you! The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, Tomb Raider... Uh, wait, have I done that joke? Plus, superheroes and pornography no longer will loving both put you on a special list. Or will it? And the man in black flees across the desert, and the gunslinger follows, but Stephen and Matthews thinks this sounds a little too much like exercise. Stephen's happy. He's feeling glad. Rodrigo's got sunshine in a bag. Matthew's useless, but not for long, and the future is coming on. No squealing. Remember, it's all in your head, and the mourners are still singing as they drag you by their feet. And the hangman isn't hanging, so they'll put you on the street. Wheels turning round and round, lights going down in the city. Janie's got a gun. Johnny's got his, too. The only thing that's missing is the four-facet key. I think the ninja's got it. In the words of a great philosopher, never turn your back on a breen. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air! Hey everyone, welcome to another issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. The what now? <laughs> I'm yes. sorry. I must, I must be. Spoilers <laughs> Podcast. Spoiler. Spoiler. Jenny. I think Stephen needs. <laughs> Jenny. My name is Stephen. I learned to and run. I love the podcast. We're going I to be talking about comics talks. today. Um, yes, we're going to be talking about lots of comics, including the uh, first installment of the Stephen King Dark Tower Marvel book. Which I guess is a uh, Rodrigo was telling me is na- actually not part of the uh, uh, Gunslinger series. It's actually a prequel to to the series, correct? I think so. Right, it's not. Is, yeah. Well, yeah, I can't wait. Original. To, yeah, I, I cannot wait to talk about that later in the show. We've got more reviews coming up, as well as our poll of the week, which is not up on the Major Spoilers website. And of course, we have news. This week, our roundup is pretty slim pickings. We've got a new Laura Croft Tomb Raider game on the way. We've got polybagged Fantastic Four number 587. Or we can talk at length about Emma Stone's blonde hair. Slim pickings? <laughs> horses! <laughs> I don't pay you to jump around like a bunch of Kansas City horses! <laughs> Let's spin That's that. the edited version. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny and see what happens. <laughs> Round and round it goes. There it stops on number 587, the polybagged Fantastic Four. Now, this was announced, I think, a little bit ago, a little while ago. But uh, Marvel 
has announced that the polybagged issue of Fantastic Four number 587 will not get any overprints, nor will it appear on the regular newsstands. The only place that you're going to be able to get Fantastic Four number 587, which concludes the Fantastic Three storyline and changes the Marvel Universe forever again, again. <laughs> is at your comic book store. No yeah, I know where those are. You know, why, you know why it's polybagged, though, don't you, Rodrigo? They don't want the casual schlub just going up there and getting his greasy prints uh, all over in it, grease. finding out what the big secret getting is, and then blabbing it. it all over the interwebs. Uh, Instead, they want to make it put into a big bag so that you don't know what the secret is. I thought I thought maybe the reason why it was polybagged is because they know that people are going to hate it, so you can just <laughs> now you have a a nice <laughs> trash bag that you can just put it in, and it's and it's shaped the same way, so you don't waste any plastic comic book size trash bag. Yep. <laughs> really, for some of the stuff that we're reading, wouldn't wouldn't you like to have some of those? Now, this is, you know, this is not the first time that a company has done a ploy like this. You may remember, or some of us may remember, maybe not Rodrigo, way back in 1992. 1992? I wasn't even born until 2001. <laughs> way back in 1992, DC Comics did the same thing with the Death of Superman series. Now, the big difference between the, uh, or what we know about the uh, Fantastic Four 587 and, and uh, Superman number 75, a Superman 75 inside that bag actually contained an armband and a pin and a few other little, uh, I think one or two little other gizmos in there for the rest in peace bit. That sold like hotcakes. Mm-hmm. Matthew, is polybagged version 587 of the Fantastic Four going to sell like hotcakes? Well, let's take a few things first. It was 1993. Uh, second of all... <laughs> That book sold precisely because there was a huge furor about it. Um, there was not really such an interweb presence back in the day. Nope. But it, I mean, that made the New York Times that they were killing Superman. So people came in, and the people who didn't know anything about comics were buying this book, thinking it's going to be worth money. Oh, so yeah. the reason that it sold is because people told them it was going to sell, and people thought, well, it's going to sell, I should buy it. I sold I don't one think of my. Fantastic I had four. I had five issues of Superman number seventy five. Sold two of them each for seventy five bucks a piece. Nice. Because people wanted yeah. them. You know what they're worth right now? I think they're worth like five bucks. Mm, six if you're lucky. All right. I will say this: my Superman story is much cooler than yours because uh, they were so busy at Gulliver's Tattered Covers that day they forgot to charge me for my comics. Hey, all nice. right, score. Yeah, John put my stuff in a bag, and we talked, and and the other girl was really busy, and I walked out the door, and I'm like, I never gave them any money. And if you're listening right now, Glenn, sorry about that. You're the reason why he had to close down his store, Matthew. No. Twelve years later, (laughs) I'm sure, yeah. I'm the reason. The interest that he could have made off of that $5 comic in 1993... Could have paid for one. First more of all, of that rent. comic was a dollar fifty. <laughs> what year is it in your head? At the B Dolphin by the Orange Julius. Uh, don't forget uh, the big hot dog stand. Was it Wiener yes, on a stick or whatever dog. it is? Back to um, the modern day and Fantastic Four. Fantastic 587. Four five eighty seven. Fantastic Four five eighty seven is not going to sell like that. Is it going to sell and, at all? And uh, there are three things that this book is not. Okay. One, it is it is not going to be <clears throat> a long-term, big, hot, expensive book. This does not happen anymore. And when it, you know, 
when you're talking about print runs of 200, 300,000 in a, in a market where nobody throws anything away because people expect comics to be worth money, this book will be around. It, it could turn into a five, ten dollar book, but I doubt that it's going to be fifty, sixty dollars. Secondly, it is not the end of civilization as we know it. Some of our faithful spoilerites, God love you. You know, you guys, you guys are my friends and my, my family and you're rending your clothes and gnashing your teeth and flipping out. It's not that big a deal. But it's Marvel using a polybag. Marvel using a polybag to keep this book from being spoiled in the stores is going to cause people to have to buy the thing to get spoiled by it. Or check this out. They say they're never going to do any overprints. They're not going to uh, put it out at the newsstand. But one week later, you can go back to your comic book store if you don't get this polybagged version, and you can get a non-polybagged version of Fantastic Four number 587 that has a spoiler-filled cover variant. Nice. Which kind of defeats the whole purpose of this stunt. You know, you know what I find amazing about it is that they say, you know, we're not, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, and one of them is we're not going to put it at the newsstand. Who sells comics in newsstands? Well, that includes the grocery store. Uh, that includes um, yeah. that includes uh, the the regular bookstore, not Hastings, but it includes like your regular bookstore mm-hmm. that has the uh, comics it over by your the borders. Yeah, your right. borders and your, your borders or B Daltons and your Walden books, books. Yeah. Yeah. all of these who still exist. Yes, yes, and all those newsstands that apparently populate New York uh, street right. corners. If so. if Thirty Rock is to be believed, <laughs> yes, exactly. Forties uh, again. <laughs> yeah, see, I was I just, just walking think, down the street, see, and this dame gave me a stick. I just eye, think so the whole fact that, like, we're not going to do any overprints. Well, first of all, overprints for this book are probably going to top out at about 50,000. I mean, just a regular print run is probably going to top out at 50,000. Mm-hmm. Because, again, once again in November, the highest selling book sold less in the direct market than 100,000 copies. Mm. Um, second thing is, a week later, I can go down and pick up a book. That has a spoiler-filled cover that's not in a bag, and I'm going to be spoiled just by looking at the cover. I know <gasps> it's going to happen no! just by looking at the cover. And I would bet if you've searched around and poked around the Majorspoilers.com website, uh, you probably have seen the cover at no! some point. So, uh, Rodrigo, do you have any thoughts? Um, Ed, just I, I didn't even read the headline when I saw that guy holding it. Holding the bag, I was like, my my uh, ploy sense went <laughs> off. Like, seriously. It's just like, wow, they're trying to sell a book, aren't they? <laughs> All right. Anything else? No, it's I good to see it. them waste this effort on the Fantastic Four. Yeah, Fantastic I, I Four I should isn't say getting enough waste. love at the... In the world? Oh, no. Fantastic Four hasn't really been Marvel's big flagship book, as much as people would love it to be, for years. So, you know, to put this kind of effort into Fantastic Four is pretty impressive, rather than try and sell us another Venom miniseries or, you know, Deadpool's 15th book or whatever it is that they're trying to really get us into. The new, the first new X-Men number one since April. Well, it could, you know... I'll give them a benefit of doubt. It could be a fantastic story, but I'm not going to rush out and buy it. Fantastic Four, 587. You can rush down to your comic book store only, January 26th, 2011. Or if you want that unsealed version, the one with the spoiler cover, it arrives in stores February 2nd. 
So that's your news. You can find a lot more news over at the Majorspoilers.com website. And of course, you can find a lot of other things over at the Majorspoilers.com website. You can, of course, find Matthew's retro reviews that he has been writing. Indeed. Upcoming this week, give us a little teaser, Rodrigo. Rodrigo's got a gamer's corner opinion piece. One of these, you nerds quit being gamer nerds, right? Is that what it's about? Um, sort of. Um, I, Isn't that what everything he writes is? <laughs> Stop being nerds in the way that I am not. <laughs> no. Well, actually, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, well, I think that uh, sometimes people don't stop to think as you know why we do certain things as nerds or as consumers you know why do you why do you like this why do you like that right um somebody on uh, when i was going to do my um fable 3 review on twitter mm-hmm. somebody said oh awesome just whatever you do don't call it an rpg and i was like but it is an rpg and then i started thinking what constitutes a video game rpg and that spiraled into this whole rant of um, and you know, it took me like four days to clean it up, but eventually it'll become an article <laughs> and you can read about my thoughts on why there's actually no such thing as a video game RPG. Excellent. Can't wait to read that. That'll be a Friday over on the major spoilers.com website. You want to check mm-hmm. that out. If you watch, uh, Batman, the brave and the bold, and you saw the recent dark side descending, you might want to go back into your major spoilers, uh, podcast feed and check out our latest commentary Matthew and I recorded this week for you. That talks a little bit about Killer Frost, talks a little bit about the Justice League and the Satellite Era, as well as uh, some other things that we liked and didn't like about the most recent episode. And then, Matthew, you do have those retro reviews. This week it is, uh, looks like Avengers Annual. Avengers Annual number 17. And to pique your interest, I'll tell you, it features the team of Steve Rogers, Hercules the Hulk, the Beast, the Second Yellow Jacket, Yocasta, and the Falcon. Now, if you say to me, you've never heard of this Avengers team, you're exactly right. Cool. I've got a question for you. In uh, that uh, Superhero Squad, I know nothing about the Falcon, but in the Superhero Squad, Mm -hmm. apparently, in the animated series, he's afraid of heights. Uh Is the Falcon in the comic book series afraid of heights? No. Okay. And on. the Silver Surfer in the comic book series doesn't talk like this, brah. Are you sure? It's it's like a cartoon for kids, <laughs> man. Because like, make well, the power of cosmic and mighty Galactus comes. And, Yo, I am filled with the cosmic ennui and the loss of my <laughs> I don't, loved I don't Shalabal. watch that show. My son watches it all the time on his iPad. I don't watch it at all. Okay, everybody, Bradley, stick around. Bacon we have got some reviews coming up just around the corner right after this quick break. How to get a major spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the make a donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Thank you, everyone, for your contributions to the Major Spoilers cause. Helps us keep the lights on. And want to especially thank all those people who have purchased the critical hit Major Spoilers Dungeons and Dragons Podcast Limited Hurry. Edition Season 1 t shirt. Time is running out. December 15th, the orders close, and uh, we will begin shipping after they all get printed on December 17th. 
Help us, Obi-Wan. You're my shirts only hope. <laughs> hey, guys. I need to buy four of them. Hey, guys. Here's a question for you all. <clears throat> I was speaking with a friend, and we were talking about the changes in comic books over the years. I tried to explain that looking at the art drawing style of the 80s is different than that of the 90s, which is different than modern day. He argued with me, saying that there's no difference. It's all the same. Am I right or wrong here? Can I pick up a comic book of, say, Batman or Superman from the 80s and compare it to the 90s or even one from today? And the style is very different and easy to pick out the differences from each decade. Thank you so much. Love the show. Vincent. Rodrigo. Hello. Is Vincent right or wrong? Can I pick up a comic from 1980 and say this is a comic from 1980 Mm -hmm. and then pick up a comic from 1990 and say this is a comic from 1990? Depending on your experience, you might not be able to say this is a comic from 1980, Mm -hmm. but you would certainly be able to hold up both comics and realize that there are big differences between them. Even if it's, you know, the, I don't know, the Justice or a Superman comic from the 80s and a Superman comic from the 90s, you know. Well, one of the biggest differences, obviously, is going to be the costumes and hairstyles. Those have changed over time. Those are one thing that you can look. Well, I mean, you got mullethead yeah. Superman, and then you don't have mullethead well, Superman. But even then, I mean, you could land but in two particular areas that happen to be, you know. Right. The other thing that you can look at that kind of, for me, tells me that I'm looking for, for a comic from the 90s as opposed to the 80s is the paper that it's printed on. Mm-hmm. The other thing that has changed as far as, and again, we're not talking about character drawing, you know, the figure drawing, because Matthew, right. I'm sure, is going to address that here in a moment. But the color printing is different mm-hmm. in each decade. Yep. Um, today, everything's really computer-driven, and you're able to slather on Matthew's favorite uh, lens flares, and you're able to do all these visual effects on the page that you couldn't do in years past. Mm-hmm. So, in those couple of senses, I think you can tell a slight difference. But when it comes to specific artists or maybe specific characters over time, maybe they're, maybe it might be a little bit harder to tell. <coughs> Matthew? Um, I think that Vincent's friend has a point, but Vincent's friend is looking at the surface, basically that, that very, you know, surface level thing. If you were actually to take into account, yes, the difference in paper, the difference in printing. If I showed you a flexographic DC book like Crisis on Infinite Earths mm-hmm. side by side with something that was printed by Charlton in the seventies, you'd know the difference. But right. moreover, there is a house style. If you look at Spider-Man's portrayal in the 60s, you're going to see a scrawny Steve Ditko Spider-Man until about 19, I'm going to say 71. It's kind of an arbitrary number when you'll start seeing the square jawed, you know, John Romita Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And then that transitions, you know, into sort of a, you almost end up with that Todd McFarlane Spider-Man for the longest time. Mm-hmm, and eventually, right. you know, you will see a change in the way the characters conceptualize. Superman in the 1950s is barrel-chested like George Reeves and looks to be about 40. Right. Superman under John Byrne in the 80s is a man in his late 20s with a realistic physique. You know, Superman today is stealing money out of the coffers of Christopher Reeves' estate. There are differences in the style. There are differences in the shorthand language of comics. Yeah. And yeah, it, my boss brought in some books the other day and he put some stuff out and we we're sorting through it and he held something up 
and I couldn't see the logo because the logo was obscured. Mm-hmm. You know, the book was pretty well damaged. And he said, what is that? I said, I don't know, but I want you to look on the inside. And I'll bet you even money it comes from about 1978. And he looked inside and it was a book printed in 1978 and just gauged from, you know, looking at the comic, the paper that was used, the style that was used, the way Batman looked on the cover. You know, that was the gauge that I made looking at comics every week as a job. I will tell you, Vincent is absolutely right. And these things change subtly over time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at, uh, the Batman that we see on TV right now in Batman, the brave and the bold, right? He kind of resembles the square jaw Dick Sprang Batman from the forties and fifties. Mm-hmm. The Joker from that series is the Dick Sprang Joker, right? So if you look at that, people look at that and they say, well, that's, that's an old Batman. And I remember somebody commenting on the site, you know, well, that just looks old. Is this really what we want from Batman? I'm like, hell yeah. Because it's different and it looks interesting. All the Batman stories after about 86 had that annoying Frank Miller tint to them. So Right. Well, and maybe that's another thing. Maybe that's where his friend might be making his point. Where, yeah, I wonder if you they're know, not sort of arguing two different things. Yeah, just, can, do you remember, I mean, Matthew and I remember, and I'm sure you do too, Rodrigo, when mm-hmm. Image Comics arrived. Yes. Of course, mm-hmm. I think, had, was Liefeld over at Marvel doing Spider-Man before he went to Image? Liefeld did New Mutants. Yeah, he was doing X-Men stuff. Okay. So he was already doing a lot of stuff over there. Mm -hmm. And people really latched on to his style and really liked his style. And pretty soon, when Image started and all these books came out from McFarlane and and, uh, Jim Lee and all Mm -hmm. these guys, everyone was like... And Wills Portaccio. Wills Portaccio. Everyone was like, that is the cool style. Look how cool that is. And so everybody started imitating that style Mm -hmm. or trying to get that kind of a look and And definitely you you can tell who was a kid during that era because at modern styles you can say oh this guy was probably reading image back in the day there was a book that i read recently and i forget which one it was i reviewed it up on the site but as you flip through the page it's the same artist but he can't stay consistent with his style so one page he looks like mm-hmm. J. Scott Campbell. Right. Another page he looks like Rob Liefeld. Another page he looks like somebody else. And so he hasn't quite got that nailed down yet. Mm-hmm. Or of course, it could just be a pseudonym that they're using for a slave shop in Korea where everybody yeah. is drawing a page. Um, oh, no, a bear is driving. <laughs> um, so that's one thing, you know, that, that there could be these influences of mm. let's try to imitate, as Matthew said, that house style or this artist style or this popular style and go from there. Another thing might just be it depends on the artist that you're looking at, because George Perez today, although a lot of people are kind of crazy over what he's been doing lately, but you compare that to George Perez from uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, and I would bet the styles are mm. fairly similar to one another, just like if you look at uh, the Kuberts. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't matter each, each given Kubert. Each one they have their own same style. I mean, you could look at uh, Andy or um, Adam, 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 or any of those, and they their styles look so alike that I can Dino. pick up. <laughs> I can pick up a book that they do today, and it looks no different than the Adam Strange miniseries that I was reading in uh, late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, so <laughs> that could be a part, Vincent, where your friend might be right. If that artist is consistent over time. Well, and I wonder if it's if it's not an argument where Vincent is saying, look, look at, you know, Beast Boy or Changeling or whatever from mm-hmm. the 
80s Teen Titans and look at him in, you know, the latest run of Teen Titans. Clearly different, different color choices, right, different right. design, different everything. But his what his friend is arguing is look at I don't know, look at Captain Marvel and look at you know, the Plutonian. Right. Clearly nothing has changed in the style of comics. And they're two different arguments. That would be two, like, but they're both right. He, superheroes are still wearing their exactly. underwear Superheroes the are still look exactly the same. And I wonder if that's Big not... boobs, all that stuff. If it's not just that they're arguing two different points. It might be. Who knows? Mm. Vincent, you didn't give us enough information. Mason, curse you. Vincent's friend, oh, right in. <laughs> Refute Vincent's <laughs> point. Go ahead, Matthew. There's even more to it than just the art, because Rodrigo always comments when we read old stuff about the wall of text, and I was... Uh, the the Avengers Annual that I reviewed this weekend, I was just amazed at how much wordage, how many balloons and panels and yeah, the panel crosshatchy little things, mm-hmm. just tons and tons of stuff. But if you look at a book from probably around the Image era, you will find, I'll guarantee you, I can pull a book out of the stands, just yank it at random and pop it open, and from the right time frame, and all of a sudden you'll see a lot of full-page splashes and mm-hmm. full-length character studies taking up one corner of the book. Yeah. Because the artist, you know, the artist is not just drawing for what's going to look good, it's what can I sell on the secondary market. Yeah, let me just show If you go back that- and you look at... I was going to show something to Rodrigo really quick. Rodrigo, I'm going to show you a page yep. really quick. I'm going to see if I can't find one that has a better a better character on it. And I want you to tell me quickly whose art style it reminds you of. Um, Humberto Ramos? Exactly. So I picked up the latest issue of Batman Orphans. Carlo Barberi is the artist on this. I really enjoyed it. I was going to review it on the site. Didn't have a chance. But you look through the art and you're like, whoa, Humberto Ramos. Every page is like early Humberto Ramos when he was back in the Impulse and mm-hmm. uh, what was the vampire series that he did? Crimson. Crimson Days. And I was like, wow, he's returned to his style. And I'm like, oh, this is somebody else mocking him. So I can see where it becomes a little mm-hmm. difficult that way. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Matthew, I want you to bring this up at the shop on Saturday. I want you to just stroll in when everyone's gaming and just shout out. Comics look the same as they did 20 years ago, and then run out and see what happens. Comics look the same as they did 20 years ago. Discuss. <laughs> well, A, no, and B, I don't believe that, and C, I'm not going near the shop on Saturday. That's my one day off. I don't even You'll just walk in, and Saturday. they'll just start handing him things to, to sort. Obviously, this is Here, a great topic for conversation, and we want you to continue this conversation in one of two places. Head over to Majorspoilers.com and go under this post and um, and comment away, or go over to the Major Spoilers forum. Rodrigo is creating a forum thread under a general discussion right now called uh, Comics Look the Same as They Did 20 Years Ago, yeah, and you can discuss it there. I'm, I'm doing that. Hang Rodrigo's on, doing that I'm, right I'm, now. I'm or right now. what I would prefer that you do is call the Major Spoilers hotline and leave us a message with your thoughts on on this argument. Matthew, that uh, Major Spoilers hotline number is... 888-99... Wait, that's wrong. 785-727-1939. I almost had you talking to a hot girl who wants you to call her mommy. <laughs> that's the Major Spoilers hotline, and we'll play some of those in uh, future episodes or one of these other places that you can uh, you can go and post your comments, your thoughts your ideas okay let's get to uh some reviews Review. books that we've either read last week or books that are coming up this week you okay there, matthew you all right I'm there? Good. Hang on. you okay you sure 
You don't need a little <coughs> drink? A little, maybe a little sip of soda? Hmm? Maybe a little bit of drink? A little tipsy? A little uh, drinky what? drink? Let your whistle and get a little, little <laughs> liquid in your... Clear out your throat? Hey, Steven. Yes, sir. Hey, Steven. Shut up. <laughs> Aha! I was giving Rodrigo, I was vamping so Rodrigo could say discuss and go because I want to, I was going to hope that Rodrigo would go first this week. I can go talk first about, and then go back to... to co- talk about a book that uh, came out uh, this past week. Yes. What is it? It is Chippendale Rescue Rangers, number Chippendale's one. Rescue Rangers. Yep, that one. We're actually our... reading a book about strippers? <laughs> yep, male strippers. <laughs> they come in as firemen, but only for a little bit. Yep. That's why they're the Rescue Rangers. Yep. Although why... Uh, firemen would have cuffs and bow ties. I'm not entirely sure, but who's paying attention, right? Well, it's, it's yeah, it's not called the Thunder Down Under Rescue Rangers, so. right? Anyway, <laughs> what? This has strayed a lot Why farther from this so than I even Vegas? expected. Yeah, I, I spent too much time in uh, Las Vegas, and you can't drive down the, any street without seeing signs Strippers. for all the fun shows. Nice. Now. Uh, Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, based on the very popular Disney afternoon cartoon, um, Chippendale's of, Rescue of the Rangers, of, of the eponymous um, cartoon um, with the eponymous duo Chippendale. It's very <laughs> eponymous. Um, now, this book uh, picks up the adventures of Chip, Dale, Gadget, Monterey Jack and Zipper, I think, is the name of the fly. I can't remember that. Um, and as they zipper inf- the fly, yeah, no, I think that's. I mean, I, 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 thought, I think that's a legitimate. That, that, that but that's be, the joke. That I think the joke. I don't know. I I don't remember. It that might just joke, be, be zip, honest. but I think it's zipper. Okay, but um, still, even then, zip yeah. the fly. Yeah, exactly. Um, when when I saw this book i wanted to read it i wanted to review it i was expecting one of several reactions i was expected to either be completely nostalgic about the old show yes or to be somewhat disappointed that it didn't live up to the old show right or to be really excited Uh about them taking it in a new direction kind of like they did with darkwing duck right um but i was not expecting to feel what i actually felt when i read it which was confused really it is confusing. Um, it starts out with a flashback of Gadget as a little girl. Okay. Um, with her dad. Okay. Kind of first discovering her ability to turn regular things into much more complicated kind of useful things. Mm-hmm. Um, f- to, to hilarious uh, uh, and, and very useful um, uses. But um, so you have a flashback. Then you go back. And the rescue, you get this big splash page of them flying in their little balloon shampoo bottle thing. And it's like, yay, the rescue rangers. And there's like their villains are behind them and stuff. And it's like, oh, yay, adventures. So you flip the page and they're like down in a sewer. um, And like they're like dealing with some crocodiles. And then the zipper is like. And he flies at them and stuff. And he's like, oh, zippers had to deal with two things today. And it flashes back. To Zipper and his family and these, like, glowing red spiders are attacking them. And then you're back, like, within a page. Huh. You don't see him fight him. You don't see him fight the crocodiles. You're back. Then we flash back to Monterey Jack. But the flashback, he's with the whole team. 
<laughs> and he just kind of runs off and does something else, and then the team catches up with him, and okay. they're like, what is the problem? And he's like, there is a problem. And then you flash back to the sewer, and then they fall out of the sewer, and they meet some red glowing pirates. That is literally what happens in the book. Wow. It is massively confusing. Wow. And I think I understand what's going on, but I'm not sure. And I I think that sometimes a a writer will get stuck on a theme Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, well, it's the first thing. Let's go back and do some flashbacks for each character. Right. But if the flashback is to like 10 minutes ago, you know, if it's a flashback of Monterey Jack when he's the whole team with the whole team, it just looks like we just made some weird time jump. Yeah, there was a book I read recently that did the exact same thing. That's, uh, and that's what it feels like. I it's think like it was called Time Jumpers. Nice. Yeah. Um was that <laughs> code, no, seriously, was I think it, that's what it's was called. It, time it, was it Code Crackers? Yeah, it was probably Code Crackers. Um the uh Monterey Jack <laughs> You know, does this little flashback, and the whole team is there. And and at first, you're like, they're about to fall from a, off a waterfall in the sewer. You know, a little like just water thing in the sewers, right? And then you jump forward, and it's like, oh, they made it out okay, and now something else is happening. And then they go back. It's like, oh wait, no, that whole thing was a flashback. And there's like inner team turmoil, uh huh. But it's not really explicit why. It's just like Chip doesn't trust Monterey Jack all of a sudden, huh. which doesn't. Which if they built that up slowly, yeah, it would make sense. But obviously, if you're coming at it from the cartoon, like they have like their bickery moments, but it's mostly kind of Chip and Dale getting in each other's faces, right? And then the other guys just doing their funny individual thing a lot of the time. Hmm. Okay. It's I, I was I was confused by it. I was like. I just didn't understand why we even needed to go to some of these flashbacks, especially because after that, they're very explicit about saying, why are animals behaving so weird? And Which is another weird thing, because they themselves are animals. Yeah. It's like, why are other animals behaving so weird? Like, have they been affected by it? Like, is that what caused Pluto Dale get to, to put... wear a hat and drive a car? Exactly. Is that why Dale is wearing that ridiculous Hawaiian shirt? Is that <laughs> is that the explanation for that? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's Magnum P.I. But in any case... Um, what is the 80s? I think that's what they're going for. It's like, because they're like detectives. Right, right, right. Um, but anyway. Um, that said, the art is great. It's it's just it's like they took the cartoon and made it into the comic. Mm-hmm. It's pretty it's pretty good. Like there's there's nothing wrong with the art except that the whole glowing red thing is a little confusing. But I think that's a story issue, maybe and that's not an a, art issue. I'm, I'm curious, and I haven't read this book. How often does that red glowing thing appear? Because maybe you that's s- a clue. Oh, it is. Maybe they're all hypnotized or something. Yeah, some. I mean, they're. It, it, that red thing, I think, is what symbolizes this animal is acting weird. But again, I don't think I don't know that in within this context of the show they ever refer to themselves as animals, right? You know, it's weird because they're talking animals, mm-hmm. although they do live in a human world. Yeah, like there are humans around. Right. It's it's just weird. Um. But all in all, you know, it wasn't, it's not terrible. It's just confusing. And I really hope that issue two just fits right in and explains. It's like, I hope that if you read issues one and two together, that, it may make more that sense. it's actually just some kind of arc. And then when you see the whole thing, it makes a lot more sense. 
but I am I'm kind of on the fence about it if if the writing is going to continue being like this. Um, I'm gonna give it. Uh, we'll say two and a half slices, cause largely because I'm coming in with a lot of nostalgic momentum to it, right? Um, and because the art is pretty great, but I don't know. I really wish they'd straighten out the uh, arc. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, if it's fair straight, enough. it's not an arc. Exactly. Bom, bom, bom. Jim and Dale's Rescue Rangers number one from Boom Studios. This week I picked up the upcoming Doorways number two from George R.R. R. Martin, being published from IDW. Uh, this is an interesting tale. It may sound very familiar to you. I'll give you a little backstory. In issue one, this strange girl pops out of nowhere and she doesn't know where she is. She doesn't talk. She talks jibber jabber or talks very broken English, calls herself Cat. Um, she gets picked up, thrown in an asylum. Uh, this guy named Thomas, a psychiatrist, is sent in to evaluate her, and she's making very little sense. Uh, she wants to escape. She needs to get out. And then we flash to these people called the Man man Dogs, Man Hunters, something like that. And they're tracking her down because she's trying to get to a doorway, and she has a device. And she convinces Thomas to help her out, and they escape, and they're running. They're trying to find a doorway, and this device is pointing them to that doorway. This issue we pick up, and as she calls him, Tomas, T-O-E-M-O-S. Um, they're still running, 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 and she's trying to speak in broken English uh, about these doorways that take you to different earths. And eventually they get where they're going. The government feds show up to arrest her. The uh, men that are tracking her, these savage-looking monstrosities, catch up to them as well. There's a fighty-fighty. This doorway opens, and Tomas and Cat slip through to another Earth. And then Tomas is like, uh, Thomas is like, well, how do I get back? And she goes, you can't. You can't get back. This is a one-way door, essentially. Nice. Now, does that sound familiar to you? Does it sound like a premise to something that you may have heard before? Uh, yeah. I, I definitely have maybe heard of this 10 or 15 times yes in this idea of sliders yeah perhaps something out of white castle if you will <laughs> so it's interesting um george rr R. martin actually wrote a bunch of tv scripts uh, back in the day he was a script writer still does a, i guess a lot of television production and it turns out that he had pitched this doorways idea it had been approved, I think, by NBC. NBC had picked it up, and it was going to be a television series. They got through, I think there were going to be a back end of the season, six episodes, had been greenlit, and they were well into production of uh, scripting these and getting ready to shoot. And then new uh, people stepped on board at NBC, and of course, the new regime doesn't like anything the old regime is doing. Right. And so Doorways was booted. Six months later... Sliders appears on nice. Fox Television. Nice. This is actually and goes on to be a great hit. Yeah, well, you know, he did pitch this idea at Fox too. Nice. And, but how then, many? How many seasons did Slider go? Do you sliders remember? Went like five it was like or three six or four. Seasons. It was like yeah, five or for, six. I think nice. It nice. went for a long, long time. And so this is very much Sliders. They're sliding into other Earths. They're being tracked by these things that want the uh, device back, that want Cat back. Uh, this episode is really. This issue is really more of the revelation, the character revelation for Thomas, that his world has changed, literally changed. Mm. Uh, we find out, or will find out in the next uh, issue, that some worlds are great, other worlds are the same, other worlds are just slightly different, very much like we saw in the Sliders uh, series. 
The art is good. Um, it's not great, but it is solid art um, from uh, Stefano Martino. Um, solid colors. I you know there, there's not a lot of detail. There's more detail in the characters than you're going to find in the surroundings. Mm-hmm. The story moves along much as you expect it would move along. It's somewhat predictable, but I think it's in that predictability that you can then engage yourself into the story a little bit more and try to learn a little bit more about the characters. Or you can just look at it as a, one of these uh, popcorn movie comic books. You just sit back and you enjoy it for what it is. It's, uh, I think it's uh, three ninety nine, so it's a little bit on the expensive side for a comic book of this type, but it's still a lot of fun. I enjoyed reading it. Um, even with the predictability aside, I'm going to give this one three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Nice. Yeah. So that's IDW. Matthew, what do you bring to the table this week? I bring the knowledge that Sliders ran five seasons, although I think nobody but Rembrandt lasted for the whole show. Well, the... Um, it was weird. What's his name? The main character lasted. No, the main character no, isn't there oh, for the didn't? whole show. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I remember because I remember yeah. watching the first season of Sliders and thinking, "Oh, this is awesome!" And then it's basically the same thing as Buffy. I watched the first right. season, thought it was great. Then something, some small part of my life changed, and just I never watched it again. Yeah, and remember watching the later seasons and being like, "Well, the main character isn't even here." Yeah, yeah, you're right. Five seasons is how long it lasted. That was close. Uh, Quinn Mallory and and the uh, first season girl. I always thought she was the cutest. Uh, yeah, she Wanda was Wells on Sports Night. Oh, was she? Okay. Yeah. So, what else do you bring to Sabrina, the table besides the uh, the revelation that Sliders lasted five seasons? I bring to you a Christmas Carol filled with lords a leaping, swans a swimming, seven monkeys mating, and six. You're listening to the Mercury Theater of the Air, featuring Orson Welles on WGBH, Boston. So anyway, a long time ago, there was a comic book, and it was called Superman. And it sold a lot. And everybody went, hey, we should get in on that. So in the 1940s, there were approximately seven quintillion superheroes of various powers and thingamas. And now, Alex Ross is going to bring them all back at Dynamite, in Project Superpowers. Because he doesn't have to pay for them. Hey! The Project Superpowers Xmas Carol. By the way, for those of you who get upset about Xmas, please know that the symbol X has long been a reference to the gentleman whose name is also in the word. Other places, let's move on. The Xmas Carol... And with a title like that, you know where they're going to go with this, especially when we look at the cover, and you see... The ghost, hmm, the American spirit, and Fighting Yank, or at least Bob Barker wearing a Fighting Yank costume. And they're all looking over the Spider's Man from Alex Ross's Earth X work. Now, this is my main problem with the issue. I swear to you, it's the exact same character design as the Spider's Uh, Man. It's someone different, but I look at this cover and I'm just like, really? Alex Ross is staring at the Spider's Man? So, we get into the main issue, and it, much like uh, Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, jumps back and forth in time. Part of it takes place in what I believe to be the 40s in New York. Part of it takes place now. 
And we follow the adventures of a villain who apparently was, I believe all of the Project Superpowers characters were put in some sort of mystical urn. Right. And spent like 60 years out, and now they're back. And some of the ones that stayed around ended up taking over the world. And one of those is the evil clown who used to fight Magno the Magnetic Man in, like, uh, I want to say Harvey Comics way, way back in the day. The clown is now an evil, evil industrialist. And he's trying to take over the world with the use of nanites. Mm -hmm. And because of his evil, horrible plan and his bah humbug attitude... The ghost, the American spirit, and the ghost of fighting Yank have come to show him the past, the future, and the present. Huh. This this sounds familiar. And we get a flashback to the 1940s in a battle with Magno, which actually is kind of neat. And I think that's probably my favorite part, is it takes place on a destroyer in the middle of the ocean. But then, of course, we have today's current time, and then we see the far future, and we discover that the clown may not be as evil as we thought, in that he thinks he's building a utopia, and when he finds the horrible, horrible world that he's created, he wants to change, you know, the reality. And what it all boils down to is in the 40s, they cloned Magno the Magnetic Man, Mm -hmm. and the clown has now stuck his brain in the artificial body of Magno, the magnetic man. And he's going to now, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge it up and deciding that now that he's a new man, he's not going to make the same mistakes that the old man made. And this is all well and good, except for, yeah, except for three problems that I have going into the issue. Okay. (coughs) Excuse me. The first problem, the first problem, the first I have not been reading Project Superpowers regularly, so I'm not really familiar enough with, you know, is the clown a major player in this universe? At first, I'm not sure who he is. For for a while, I mistook him for the superhero called the clown from the 40s. There was one, by the way, Mm -hmm. from uh, Hillman Publications, I want to say. So I was confused by that. The American spirit, of course, used to be, um, I want to say... Ah, it doesn't matter. The American spirit is his floating flag. Of course, Fighting Yank is an old character. These are all characters being brought back. And as with every episode of Project Superpowers, I spend more time trying to figure out who these guys used to be than enjoying the story. The story is okay. It's pretty basic. You know, we've seen the Ghost of Christmas Past, the Charles Dickens thing. It's well drawn, actually. I believe it's drawn by uh, Patrick Birkencotter with whom I'm unfamiliar, but then it has the coloring that always troubles me when I get to especially a Project Superpowers title. If you look at uh, the ghost on the cover, yeah, he's drawn with a, a, you know, a glowy special effect, and right. Fighting Yank throughout is drawn with you know s- computery special effects. So the palette is very blue and green and glow-in-the-dark and interesting, so... Overall, the story is pretty much by the numbers. You know, it's exactly what you'd expect. The art's not bad. The characters are pretty much... I'm going to be terrible for a second. The characters are pretty much interchangeable. I don't know, really, the difference between the ghost and American spirit as we go through here. There's not really a difference in their motivation. I like the uh, face turn at the end by the clown, but there's no real setup other than... 
seeing the future. And then when he comes back from the future, he seems to be really evil and he's still doing evil things. And then all of a sudden he decides he's not going to be evil. Right. And in the back of the book, there is a character design, just a little sketch of Alex Ross. And it's basically a sketch of the combined Magno slash clown reborn body. Mm -hmm. And I realize what this book is. This book is 20 pages explaining that sketch. Oh, okay. It's not bad at all. It's just kind of mundane, I guess, is what it's looking for. Mm-hmm. It's a two two out of five slice of meatloaf affair. It's well drawn. It's obvious that these guys have a love for superheroes and the character, and right. they're really trying to they're trying to add a lot of subtext and reality, and you know, they're trying to take these '40s heroes and really bring them into the 21st century with all the Sturm and Drang that comes of modern comic books. And I don't necessarily know that the characters have, you remember when they put all the ornaments on Charlie Brown's little dead tree and it went, (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of like that to use the holiday metaphor. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, it's so, so Matthew, let me ask, uh, should people go and read the original Dickens or if they like their uh, classic literature with a superhero flair, they should read Project Superpowers Xmas Carol. Hmm. If you're a Superpowers fan, this probably has meaning to you and works into the overall thing, I would say definitely. Okay. If you're just a casual reader, this is not the place to start Project Superpowers. But then again, if you've ever actually read A Christmas Carol, it's pretty daunting as well. Mm-hmm. I would start with Oliver Twist because it's a little more accessible. Okay, cool. There you Chapter go. Chapter one, in which I am born. <laughs> Not a single DC or Marvel book to be had this week on our review section. We do have another Marvel book coming up in just a moment. We'll be talking about the uh, Dark Tower saga, the gunslinger born in just a minute. But first, we'll see if Matthew picks up on this. It's time for. It's time. There we go. <laughs> Wow, there's a delay this week. Uh-huh. It's time for the millions in attendance and the thousands watching with the sound turned down at home. <laughs> it's, it's time. <laughs> what happens when Wonder Woman crashes into pornography? Boy, I don't know, but I kind of want to see it. Well, you know what, Matthew? You're not going to have to wait long because the Wonder Woman triple X. A hardcore parody uh, comes out tomorrow, Wednesday, um, from not Vivid. Vivid, Vivid Entertainment is the one that has been doing the Batman triple X porn parody, the upcoming Superman and Hulk triple X porn parodies. They are even behind the um, the upcoming Star Wars, a triple X porn parody. Nice. Uh, but in this case, uh, the Wonder Woman one is coming out, and I was going to look for. The company really quick. Uh, it is coming out from uh, from Mile High Media is where it comes out of. No pun intended there. Uh, there's also I was invited to go to a a set this past week uh-huh. to go see the Justice League uh, porn parody, and it's done by Extreme Comics. Uh, is is behind that. Right. All these people are like jumping on the superhero porn. I mean, when you think about it, 
there's almost this natural progression. I mean, Rodrigo has said it many times growing up that he was had to stick the witch blade under his jacket going into the house and mm-hmm. didn't want his mom finding the dark child and 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 Gen uh, thirteen. I Gen thirteen. I had I bought the I think either the first or second issue of Gen thirteen, mm-hmm. and I felt that I had to hide it. Which one? Which version? The first issue. The first issue. Yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah. The first or second one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was yeah. pretty pretty steamy stuff Sounds inside. Like it. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a euphemism. You don't want mom to catch you reading The Dark Child, if you know what I mean. (laughs) So, you know, there are a plethora of superhero adult movies all over the place. Everybody's jumping on the bandwagon, trying to get into this, trying to get their starlet or or star into skin-tight latex, which will then be ripped off. And Yes, we we understand how porn works, Yes. Now, the interesting thing about this is these... Adult uh, movie makers are claiming parody, and yes, to an extent, parody could be claimed, and unless someone wants to make a huge prolonged legal battle on what constitutes fair use in parody, uh, then I think we're going to see more of these coming down the, uh, down the pipe. And, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, I'm sure DC, and we haven't really seen any Marvel, the Incredible Hulk one will be, I think, the first Marvel one that we... Spider-Man's been announced, hasn't it? I don't know if it's, one, if it's been announced yet or not, maybe it has, but I can just imagine that... Warner Brothers and Disney both sit there and go every time they hear mm-hmm. Batman a triple X porn parody or Incredible Hulk a triple X porn parody, and they try to figure out ways of of dealing with this. But right now they're involved in other legal suits, such as who actually owns these characters. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so I don't think I think we're kind of at that little crossroads where everything mm-hmm. kind of aligns in favor of the adult industry. And while some people may say, hey, there's no harm in this. You know, there's only a certain group of people that are going to watch these movies. The big question that I have for you guys is while it may seem like harmless fun, does it ultimately harm the brand, the intellectual property? Rodrigo? Um, I don't think it does. Uh, primarily because, as you said, they, they've only done, you know, Batman, Superman, the Justice League. Mm-hmm. So they're only going, obviously, after the big name superheroes right and you know lot everybody knows superman but how many people out of those people who know superman have ever read a superman comic true probably not that many true you know superman has so much momentum that there will be a superman porn parody and that will only be an infinitesimal blip in the radar that is the the, the lifespan of superman sure so you know if they did Something like Witchblade, a porn parody, mm-hmm. or I don't know, Cloak and Dagger, a porn parody. Right, that could hurt that brand because people would be like, "Oh, look, tonight guest starring on the Secret Avengers are the guys from that porno." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, if if they're only going after the big name characters, it actually doesn't hurt the brand. I don't think it helps the brand either okay. because again, they're not getting any new people into. The Hulk or into mm-hmm. Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all people who are already into both or already into porn and will watch it anyway, regardless right. of what's happening. Yeah. Now, Vivid Entertainment, they've been doing a whole slew of these triple X porn parody. I mean, they've done the Brady Bunch, they've done House, they've done Grey's Anatomy, they've done, um, you name it, they've probably done. Right. I, and, and what they do is it's. The X Files. I don't, the triple X Files is probably what it's probably. called. Um, they actually try to make it as close to the original series as possible oh, yeah which is brilliant because they're capitalizing on the slash fiction market 
Um, I, I, mm-hmm. my, I've always had this theory. I've had this theory for a while that the reason why Avatar got made mm-hmm. is because they looked and saw the, the and saw this huge untapped market in furries. Yeah, and then they decided, well, let's make a movie that we can actually legitimately sell that actually has a furry sex scene in it. Well, that's a legitimate. Uh... It's 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 a good idea. It's this market that people have. Uh, just kind of poo-pooed in the past but if you accidentally stumble upon a website that has slash fiction uh-huh there are i am sure there's enough slash fiction out there to fill the library of congress oh yes and I'm more sure. gets created every second that you talk about it mm-hmm. or don't talk about it matthew i disagree with one thing rodrigo said i think that in a way it can help the brand or at least the visibility of it. I mean, the reality of the fact is that DVD is popular because pornography became available on DVD to Mm -hmm. some degree. You know, many of the changes in the industry over the last 30, 40 years have become widespread because the pornography was available in that format. Mm -hmm. There are tons of comics out there that are, pornographic in nature or close to pornographic in nature and i think that there are hundreds of thousands if not millions of adults who consume pornography regularly and have no problem consuming pornography regularly for me i'll say it i don't have a problem with pornography i'm a big fan of it in certain places some of it is really really weird and it's not for me some Mm -hmm. of it is really really weird and it's exactly for me (laughs) the superhero parody oddly enough is not for me but Let's say that you're just some casual Batman-type person, and you're going for your regular weekly run, and you see Batman the Triple X parody, and you're like, oh, this reminds me of the Batman when I was a kid. And, you know, you finish whatever you're doing with it, because you really only need, you know, a movie like that for about four minutes at a time. Right. Four to ten, depending on who you are. And then when you're done, you're like, you know, that Batman... I, I think I'm going to go and I'm going to look up Batman. So you rent a Batman movie, or maybe you look up a Batman graphic novel. Is it going to happen every time? No. Is it necessarily problematic that pornography is using these characters? Well, only for the copyright holders, but I got two words for you. Tijuana Bible. Yeah. This Archie is not and a Dad new... Wood and... Uh... Exactly. This is not a new phenomenon. It's not a new reality. It's just a new well, permutation, a new kink, if you will. You know, with in the case of the Tijuana Bibles, those actually are probably more of a violation of copyright than, say, maybe these adult films. What I was thinking of and what I was looking for as we were talking was Parody Press. Do you remember them from uh, the 90s? I guess they're yes. still around today. Parody Press actually had a bunch of... It wasn't nudity, but it was titillation mm-hmm. um, in yeah. these. Uh, they had, like, Batgirl, and they had, like, uh, Triple X-Men and that kind of stuff. And it was... Wolver Broad, I believe. Wolver Broad, that's the... Yes, Wolver Broad and uh, Wonder Dame or something like that. They had all these... Right. Ha, 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 golden... Uh, the the um, Green Lanterns, and they're girls with these huge breasts. Right. That was all, you know, harmless Dr. fun. And it, and it was done in the realm of parody. Mm-hmm. And it... And it made it through without a problem. Um, I think in this case, the porn industry is probably going to be fine. Yeah. You know, I think, um, as Matthew said, if it does bring somebody around, even if it's one person, 
Hey, that's one more person that the industry needs right now reading books. Are these movies any good? Uh, you know, I watched that uh, Batman triple X porn parody. Meh. Mm-hmm. Nah. I didn't care. I, personally, I didn't care for any of the actors or actresses. I thought the you actually had two versions that you could watch. You could watch it without the uh, the sex scenes, mm-hmm. or you could watch it with the sex scenes. And if you watch it without the sex th- scenes, it's a fan film is what it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's straight up fan film, and then they take off their clothes. Right. Um, but it wasn't that interesting see my problem with these is and i've and i've mentioned it before is that they're hiding behind the parody right thing right but they're not actually parodies the the reason why the the law protecting parodies exist is because is so that you can have basically social commentary mm-hmm. about something you can make fun of something and nobody can persecute you for making fun of something and pointing out its flaws or what it's doing to society or anything like that you know mm-hmm. it's it's how mad it's it's you know back when Mad Magazine was important, right? That's what it was doing for us. Um, oh yeah. Nowadays, but with these guys, they're hiding behind that, and it's not actually a parody. It's not insightful. You know, Stephen uh, and I talked about the Batman Triple X porn parody, and and he mentioned that the Joker's makeup only goes up to like his neck, <laughs> yeah, his and neck. you know, it's like it would be funny if he was just covered in makeup. Yeah, I mean that that would even that would be a commentary. But it's not. It really is just porn. Mm-hmm. So my from a my concern with it is philosophical, and I know that in a court of law it wouldn't hold up. But it annoys me that they're saying that they're parodies when they're actually not. Yeah, they're they're fan films, is yeah. what they are. Uh, I had mentioned parody press. I'm sorry, it's not parody pre- press. It was spoof comics. Nice that did the Wolverbroad and the Babe and all that. I was try. I was racking my brain. I knew it had, you know, something humorous in there. Parody spoof. But I didn't want, because as I discovered uh, last week when we were talking about uh, that Batman thing, and I said, you know what, I better bring this up later in the show, because someone's going to write, and sure enough, people were listening and sending emails as they were listening. They hadn't caught to the part where Uh I corrected myself, so I'm sure somebody's just getting ready to hit send right now when they heard Oh, they already okay. have. They oh, I'm pause, sure they have. They pause the show <laughs> and send you that, and then they keep the uh, yeah. yeah, And then they send you well, another a, one. At least you didn't say the porn started in 1927. So, Rodrigo, bottom That's line, funny. harm or harmless fun or harm the brand? I, I think it, it, it defaults to harmless fun, okay. although I will probably take the fun part out of it. Okay. Matthew? Harmless fun for the right audience. Right. Otherwise, I, mean, I don't want to get into a discussion of. Yeah, I think it's it's just sort of a, a, a benign sort of thing that we that we're going to have to accept yeah, until it's no the, longer profitable. In the same context as assist, it's benign. <laughs> right. It's benign. It's not going to kill half, you. You know, it depends on who the actor is. Yes, definitely. All right. Again, we didn't have a chance to put this up on the website this week. We had a little issue on uh, with the site this week going down uh, when uh, when we were normally put up the <laughs> poll. You said going down. And then you said <laughs> poll. I said poll, yes, yeah. exactly. So we want you to head over, you get it, over to the Major Spoilers website. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew. We want you to put your Good comment Lord, in man. the uh, show uh, in the show comments. Get a hold of yourself. Okay, when we come back, the Dark Tower, the Gunslinger Born. I Stop said it. Born, not porn.
This is Dragos Kai, the snarky review guy, coming to you once again from the sunny streets of Florida. Sorry about being off for a couple of weeks, but let's get started. This week, I want to cover The Gamers 2 Darkness Rising. It's a sequel to my last review of a bunch of people getting around the table playing 3.0 Dungeons & Dragons. may not sound like fun, but it really is. Let's get started. First thing I want to point out is the good. The acting got better, the camera work got better, the editing got better. All around, it just looks like they put a lot more effort into this movie than the last one. The bad, it's still not a professional work. It's still a fanfic, so you have to deal with the... You have to suspend your disbelief for this. Let's put it that way. If you don't like Dungeons and Dragons, it's still not going to make any sense to you. I had my wife sit down and watch it with me, and she just stared a gap at the screen for the entire movie. So, if you're a geek, go watch it. If you're not, probably not your thing. I want to send a shout-out to the Major Spoilers forums, the play-by-post section. I've recently started getting involved in there, and it's really awesome. I recommend everybody go check it out. You can follow me on the Twitters at twitter.com slash dragoskai. This is Dragoskai, the snarky review guy, signing off. The man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. With those world, with those words, we are introduced to the world of Roland Deschain. Deschain, how do you say that, Rodrigo? Deshaun. Deshaun, and the world of Dark yep. Tower. Stephen King wrote the original what seven books over the course of thirty years. Marvel came along and said, "Hey, Stephen King, we like your stuff. We're doing your Stan series. How about you let us take a crack at the Dark Tower?" And so they gave the assignment to... Yeah, I think this came oh, before did it the come stand. First? Okay. Yeah. So they gave the assignment to Peter David, and he said, hey, why don't you tell an original story that leads us in to the Dark Tower series? Prequel. Prequel, if you will. Rodrigo, give us a breakdown of uh, who the gunslinger is, and um, yeah, just give us a breakdown of who the gunslinger is, or what are the gunslingers. All right, so the Dark Tower takes place in... In a world <laughs> where um, it's kind of it's a fantasy world, only instead of um, sword and sorcery, it's gun and sorcery. Right. Um, you know, whereas in other stories you have knights and, and rogues and stuff like that. Here you mostly have cowboys and desperados and silverados and things like that. <laughs> Coronado. Coronados and Eldorado. <laughs> um, <laughs> The uh, this is the story of Roland who becomes a gunslinger at you know once he uh, hits puberty he embarks in this quest he um, has to def- defeat his mentor and earn the right to carry a six shooter because there these things aren't plentiful they're you know kind of ancestral weapons for all intents and purposes right um, he um, we are introduced to. A bad, bad man who is sleeping with his mom. Um, and he, that guy works for the Crimson King, who is an even badder man. Um, and um, Roland kind of uh, takes off on a quest to... Actually, I forget what exactly the quest is for. Well, but um, I guess eventually he's going to try to bring down the Crimson King, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. But, but I believe he's sent out uh, to get horses. Right. Yeah, this one, it's kind of a um, spy mission where he and his friends 
are sent to this town in the guise of tabulating what kind of resources the kingdom has. Mm-hmm. How many horses, how many bread baskets, how many all of these things. And under the guise that they're going to procure horses for the battle against the evil forces. All the while, they're secretly there trying to find spies. Spies. And in the process, they, discover the, you, they discover the spies. Roland falls in love. Some fighty fighty ensues. Cthulhu shows up. Cthulhu shows up, yes, at the end. Um, and it's, you know, and the story progresses. You find about these magic balls. Yes, magic balls. The, in this one, it's the pink. It's the pink ball that yep, apparently allows you to see. Or something like that. Yeah, the pink grapefruit or whatever that apparently allows you to see what's going on. Mer- Merlin's these, grapefruit. Yeah. There are all of these rainbow balls that are floating around, and I guess uh, the Crimson King is trying to collect them all. Creepy guy, big old spider guy, yeah, spider monster guy. Here's here's the thing that he's pretty much the devil. Yes, he is with a face like that. Um, here's the thing that surprised me about this book. Now, I have been aware of Stephen King's uh, The Dark Tower series for a long time. Mm-hmm. Always saw it when I'd go through the fantasy section, Dark Tower, and I'd see this cowboy. And back in the day, I was anti anything western. Now I'm not so much that way. Um, but I always avoided this. Everybody said it was such a long series that it, you know, took forever to do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There was, you know, at that time, I think there were only three books out, uh, when I was first, uh, encountering it. And I, so I just generally avoided it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after reading this, I'm like, well, this is interesting because, and this is a discussion that Rodrigo had and Matthew, please jump in. Um, this takes place in my opinion, in a post-apocalyptic world. A world where something has happened, I say nuclear bomb, bombs, uh, partly because of the art that we see of older things look kind of melty, and that could just be the art style of, uh, what's his name, Jay Lee, Jai Lee. Um, Jay Lee. But then we also introduce to this um, mutations of horses and animals and people, some of these mutations giving people the power of sight, of touch, of whatever. Uh, also creates these fantastical creatures. But then the big reveal that the boys discover is that the bad people of this town that they've gone to secretly have these World War II-looking tanks, and they're taking oil, and they're turning it into gasoline to fuel the machines Mm -hmm. so that they can go against the king. Uh, And Roland is the son of the king. uh, And defeat him in the name of the Crimson King. And they defeat those bad guys, et cetera, et cetera. Like I said, Roland falls in love with a girl. Mm-hmm. And as tragedy would have it, she gets killed. She does. Last thing you see All is her right. getting killed. Old witch style. Yep. The old witch, however, makes it. Yes, she does. Matthew, do you get the same impression? Is this a post-apocalyptic world? Has to be. Because Why? it combines... For me, it's kind of like the theory of the Flintstones. In the future, the Flintstones have rebuilt society as it existed circa 1960 AD. This future society has cowboys who are also kind of knights, who are also kind of, you know, mysterious driftery types. It combines all these different elements into one. And I think that Mm -hmm. what's happened is in this, in this world that, you know, has moved on, Whatever has happened, and the whatever isn't important, but whatever has happened has caused them to 
rebuild using the trappings of several different iterations of society. And that's, I think that's one of the draws for me. Rodrigo, but you don't, you didn't see it that way, did you? No, I didn't see it as a, as a post-apocalyptic world. I just see it as a, I, I suppose if you have to put it someplace, it's, it's more of an alternate reality or an alternate past where certain things would have developed faster than others. Oh, okay. So you have guns alongside the feudal code. Right. Kind of things. Right. And, and, um, you know, I, I think that a lot of what's in the Dark Tower is there largely to sound cool. You know, they have, like, the katet and, and, and things like right, that and all right. this other stuff that sounds super awesome. But in the end, they could just say, you know... They the th- were friendships. Yeah, the three amigos. Yes. Um, and sometimes I think if you get uh, hung up on the their speech patterns and nomenclature and, and, and stuff like that, it it seems like, you know, you, you might think, like, where do these people come from? Because it's, like, it's half um, Asian mysticism, or, like, it's a little bit of Asian mysticism, a little bit of cowboy, a little bit of, you know, feudal... Uh, Europe, right. you know, things like that. But I think what it is is it is this hodgepodge and rather than necessarily it taking place sometime along our own timeline, it's basically Stephen King just saying, oh, this sounds cool, this sounds cool, this sounds cool. I'm going to build a world around it. It's kind of mm-hmm. like how clerics in D&D are basically Christian um, right. holy men, you right. know, from the Crusades, but they worship different gods and live in a polytheistic society. Right. It's just an aspect that seemed interesting applied to something else. And the Dark Tower is basically 10,000 things that seemed interesting applied Mm -hmm. to something else. Now, Matthew, you have mentioned before that you really like Stephen King. Have you read the original Dark Tower source material? I really like Stephen King's short stories. Mm -hmm. I really like Stephen King with a word limit, and I feel that there's a point where Stephen King's work kind of outstrips itself it it and i mean this in a nice way his creativity is like a tumor it just goes and it grows and there comes a point where it's just so big that your whole head falls over and the dark tower is the biggest of the big Uh, for instance it was about 400 pages too long for me um my college roommate carl uh, loved Stephen King and loved the Dark Tower series and really, really, really wanted me to read it. And I think partly because I was an ass to Carl, <laughs> I've never actually read the Gunslinger books. And the one time that I tried, I just, I had my Tolkien experience again where I was just like, my gosh, this is dragging. They walked and they walked and they walked and Roland burned his fingers on the bullets and then he forgot the face of his father and the blah, blah, blah. And I just and like, does anybody have a picture myself. of my dad? I forgot. Exactly. Face. Where <laughs> we got tanks, but we don't have Polaroids. What the hell? And he was momentarily Jewish for no reason. Nobody knows why. Well, uh, but, you know, I agree with you on, on your assessment of Stephen King because when I was younger, I picked up, I think I saw It, uh, it was one of those, It or, or something, and I read through it, and I got to the end, and I was like, man, they killed a big spider with a rock. Yep. And then I read Tommyknockers, and it's like, uh, they defeated the aliens, and then literally in two pages, the government came in and cleaned up all the aliens, and that was the end. And I read The Stand, and it was like, oh, so the 
mental patient walks into the town with a nuclear bomb in the end. And Stephen King, you're right, has a great buildup of story. Well, and then a, a, a huge, a fantastic example. And, and you know, this is this is a story. This is a, a movie that kind of changed movies. It's one of it's a pivotal movie. Carrie. Mm hmm. The the final scene, yeah. the most memorable, well, this possibly the second most memorable thing about that movie, where the girl has that dream that she goes to see her and the hand comes out and grips her. Right. Not in the original book, yeah. as I'm from what I'm told. Mm -hmm. That was added on because the story does just like, and then this happened, the end. Yeah. So it needed yeah. that that second shock, that little bit of denouement at the end yeah. that Stephen King just never gives you, mm -hmm. even in the movies. You know, because the only time I've seen, I've experienced Stephen King is in movies. I always, I was always disappointed by it. I was disappointed by Tommy Knockers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I uh, didn't. I just at, when I finished Christine reading Tommy Knockers, has an ending, but I think that's more John Carpenter too. Yeah, mm -hmm. when I read Tommy Knockers, I was like, that's the last time I'm ever reading Stephen King because I was so psyched for that and stopped reading it. So. Uh, having something that was cowboy and Stephen King, and there were only three nice. volumes of a yet unfinished series, was oh, like yeah. no thank you. So I guess since none of us have ever read the original source material, we can't really comment on how well this translates. Now this right. is a prequel, obviously. Sure, we this can. Original we're jackasses document. like that. We can probably ask Rob. I'm pretty sure he's read plenty probably. of it, and actually, I'm pretty sure he's read this. We can well. ask Carl. So I'm curious. Did you guys like this story? Rodrigo? I really did. Um, I think that um, obviously now I'm back to playing D&D, &D, but I have always felt that it's, I don't know, it's it's hard to explain, but there is more to fantasy than Tolkien, mm -hmm. and people don't always understand that. People Every furiously typing on their keyboards right now. How dare you? No, exactly. You know, huge big life-changing event cataclysm for world of warcraft just came yes, out yes w what are the races in world of warcraft dwarves elves orcs yep goblins goblins monsters, you know D &D, same thing um you know my one of my favorite role-playing games is exalted exalted doesn't have any of that stuff it's mostly just eastern stuff and a little bit of like greek mythology mixed in and i just loved this book in particular because i like we said i haven't read the other stuff mm -hmm. because it wasn't Tolkien. I mean, obviously there are influences there, but this right. is cowboys. This is guns and magic. Mm -hmm. It's just the fact that it kind of shuffles everything to the right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, well, you have cowboys and magic. Just the exploration of what that means, of what this society that's a little bit more advanced dealing with sorcery, you know, of, of kind of bringing more American mysticism into things and more Eastern mysticism into things makes the whole stew a little bit better for me. Mm -hmm. um, so just from the strength of the setting, I also, and the other thing that I really like is that, I, you know, I mentioned that some things are in here just to seem awesome. I find that a lot of it really appeals to my sort of somewhat underdeveloped hipster aesthetic as some things are clearly here to seem not cool like right. the fact that what we're looking for is a giant pink balloon right you know it's like how not awesome is mm -hmm. the fact that what you're looking for is an enormous marble mm -hmm. you know 
like a pink one at that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it, you know, it, the, it just seemed really interesting to me. Like just all of the elements that got thrown in here, mm-hmm. just all, each one of them struck a particular chord with me to form a fantastic melody of blah 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 and i no. in the end i kind of liked it yeah matthew what about you did you like this story did you like this this way that it was told the introduction of the characters and the plot how it moved from a to b to eventually z i like the story i like the language and the words i like the the implications of a greater reality and the little bits and pieces of like egyptian mysticism and Things that we don't understand about their culture. You know, you have forgotten the face of your father. Right. I liked all of that. Mm-hmm. Then there were the pictures. All right, well, we'll get to the art in just a second. We'll get to the art in a second. But overall, the story <laughs> you kind of liked. You know, I... I, gotta I, tell you. I liked it in that it was very engaging as yeah. a reality. There was a lot going on that it was easy... Not necessarily easy to relate to, but it was something that you wanted to know about. It was a mystery in the right sense of the word. Mm-hmm. I, I think I I am not, and I've I think I've made it known to many people that I don't like Peter David. The mm-hmm. guy rubs me the wrong way. I don't care to read any of his stuff. If someone were to give me a choice between reading Peter David and Dan Slott or uh, um, um, Joe Casada, Joe Joe Casada or Grant Morrison. I'd probably pick all of those over Peter David. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that I've said before on this show, and I know I've said it many times on this show, is that when I read a book, I don't look at who yeah. it's written by because I don't follow authors. So I read through this, and knowing that it's coming from Stephen King, I was more interested in reading it, and I'm pleasantly surprised by the way the story moves. I thought there are parts where it is very cliched. I mean, there's the whole scene where uh, they step into the bar uh, and somebody pushes the gimp and he spills the the tobacco juice on on one of the bad guy's boots and he's ready to tell the kid to lick it off my boot till it's clean. Mm -hmm. And one of the good kids comes up and pulls a a BB gun or a knife on the guy's back and says, I don't think you're going to do it. Then another bad guy comes behind the kid and pulls a gun, his gun to his head, and then another good guy comes in and gun to his back. Bad guy comes in, gun to his back. Good guy comes in, gun. And it's just like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. It's like, where's the gag? You know, it's like, you actually wrote that into the story that way. And it's kind of a cool moment by about the third or fourth time that it happens. You're like, oh my God, we get it. All right. And so that was kind of annoying. Um... The appeal to me was that this is a, in, as I mentioned a moment ago, that this is a post-apocalyptic society and what has happened to it. And so that's why it's engaging to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the words were okay. I thought the story moved along. Very cliched, predictable manner, but you know, kind of overall, I still liked it. Now let's get to the art. Matthew, you don't care for the art. Yes. Why not? I don't care for... There are two things that I love. Every time we see Susan's face, uh-huh. I love the art. I lo- I want to kiss the art, and I want to go, mwing, 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 art, I love you. <laughs> and when we get to Western things, the handling of guns and horses and bridles, and especially boots, and those little cowboy gloves that cowboys always wear, love that. Mm-hmm. 
And then I look at the big empty color fill backgrounds and yeah. the places where they're standing on what appears to be, you know, what literally looks like the background from what's opera dock where it's this enormous tree standing on nothing floating mm-hmm. in midair. And I know what they're going for. And I know that I should be looking at that and going, wow, you know, that is, but I'm just kind of like, no, it, it's, it's not, it didn't gel for me in terms of just the visuals. Yeah. You know, the, the art is not a, a favorite of mine because I just don't like this style where it's the super high contrast where you're either completely filled in black shadow or you've got ping highlights all over your, your body. That's one thing that I don't like about it. But I've mentioned before that I don't like um, images that are full of blank backgrounds. And a lot of the washes that Lee puts in here are just that, an excuse not to put in detail. Mm-hmm. Let's fog it up so that we don't have to see too far into the distance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's also kind of a disgusting kind of an appeal yeah. Uh, in the art, in the way that some of the faces are drawn, especially people who are mutants. But the thing that I find most disturbing, and I think people have commented about Lee's work and another thing that I'll mention in a moment, is his uh, environment. You know, the rocks all have this melty, slimy look to them. Um, and in the case of the Wolverine Goes to Hell series, that one cover, it looks like Wolverine's taking a big dump. And that's a, that's a Lee cover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when I look at the buildings and I look at the, the rocks that, that Lee puts in this book, I'm like, bleh, terrible. But then you get to the part where they discover the oil fields and these tanks and you're suddenly going, well, maybe these rocks have all been melted because of some catastrophic, catastrophic <laughs> event, be it a nuclear disaster or a, uh, alien invasion or a meteor strike or whatever it may be. I can start to live with it a little bit at that point. Interesting. Rodrigo art. Um, uh, the, my one complaint about the art is that it's, it's oddly static. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, you, when, when I started learning about comic books and, you know, I kind of wanted to draw comics, what most people will tell you is don't show the moment before the punch show, or even the actual punch show the moment after the punch when everything's already in motion kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And there are moments like that, but even flipping through the pages, it is kind of a lot of people just standing still. Yes. Um, a lot of pretty people standing still. And I don't mean that they are pretty people Mm -hmm. along of a lot of like beautifully rendered people standing still. Right. There is a lot of that. That said, I love this art. I picked it up. I picked up, the the actual floppies the first three issues of this which mm-hmm. i never do mm-hmm. solely on the art i really like it i like i like it when the creepy spider king shows up and there are weird spiders coming out of his mouth and i like the brambly trees and i like the pretty girls and i like the glowing things and i like the weird pugs and i like the ugly horses <laughs> yeah and i like the good man's weird mask and i like the little sheriff stars and things like that. Like there's just a lot. It's kind of the same as the story itself for me. There's a lot of individual elements about it that I like, and it is enough to tip me over into liking it. Okay. Matthew, is there anything, I mean, you've kind of talked about the art already, but is there anything story wise that you don't like? Is there something that you thought it was going to go one way and it didn't, or there was a stumbling in the story or, 
did it get drawn out too long? I mean, I think we're reading seven issues here in one book. Yeah. Issues one through seven. Could it have? Could we have trimmed it at issue and made it six? I don't necessarily know that the plot is the point. Um, with this series, it's really the journey that's important, not necessarily the destination. Because mm-hmm. I'm trying, you know, racking my brain for the particulars of the plot. And what it really breaks down to is this kid is going to be a good guy. He's a white hat. And he goes out into the world and he meets this beautiful woman and then black hats try to kill him. And he has to do something smart. And in the end, he gets, you know, the giant boob. I think that (laughs) it's... You got the boob. It's not really... Yeah. It's not a story, really, so much as it's a vignette of a much larger, uh, an epic story, uh, you know, of, of Roland's life. And that, I think, is really what works for it. The particulars of this story are Roland meets the love of his life, bad people arrive, bad things happen, and he ends up finding the MacGuffin or one of the MacGuffins that will eventually, I think, turn him into something. Not sure. Into I understand that the ending is very... I understand that the ending of the Dark Tower is very Neon Genesis Evangelion, and you have to read a lot into it, and nobody's entirely sure of what in the Holy Mazanga happens at the end. Yeah. But I think that this arc is as long as it is, and as with you know what I tell people at work, they're like, well, what about my AHT? Well, a call is as long as it is. Just don't make it longer than it has to be. I never felt this story was longer than it had to be. But as you'll notice, there are, what, seven more stories that came after this in comics and seven books of the book of the stories, and then maybe the universe reboots at the end. We're not sure. You know, this is like, this is someone telling you a story about some things that happened in this awesome world that make you want to read more about it. Rodrigo, bottom line. Bottom line, I really enjoy it. I've been picking up the um, each volume, not necessarily as it comes out, but more or less as my checks come in, and it's available in our um, fine, we'll say, fine yes. Hastings. Yep, in our in our fine Hastings. Um, I'm a in big fan Dalton. of it. How you know it's? I, I like it. I I like it as as kind of a weird moment. I like that it's cool cowboys in a magic world doing cool things and looking awesome there at no point have i thought to myself wow i should really read the, the dark tower material. books mm-hmm. because i kind of don't want to in fact like as i look more into this you know I, I made the comment a little bit ago i'm like yeah this guy clearly eventually becomes an awesome badass but i like reading about characters who are not awesome badasses who are fallible and have issues so I'm I'm just fine with this. I I actually like it a lot. Okay. I would say, if you like fantasy and are tired of your pointy ear elf fantasy, <laughs> pick up like check out the Dark Tower. See if you like it. Matthew, same question. Final thoughts. I think that this book is really valuable to three classes of people: Stephen King fans, Dark Tower fans. Or people are looking for something in a comic book that isn't, you know, your standard issue superhero. I was drawn in. I'll grant that. And I like the fact that the character is 
as well-rounded as he is. And I like the fact that even in this volume, he says and does things that are pretty much unconscionably bastardry. But he's our protagonist, not necessarily our hero, and that works for me. I would say definitely check it out. It's not something that I would wholeheartedly recommend as a you know super, super winner every single time. But it works. It's not something that I'm going to go and seek out all of it and, you know, hoard it in my little uh, room full of comics necessarily. But it was a pleasant read. It was well done. And some of those women are just god-awful pretty. Yeah, some of them are god-awful ugly, too. Yep. I will say this. The narrator of this book, if he wasn't already dead, would be Johnny Cash. <laughs> the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. I, th- I think his voice would just be awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And that's who I kept hearing as I read through this book. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting book. I would probably agree with Matthew that you have to kind of be in a certain mindset to read it. I really had little interest to read this book when Rodrigo suggested it, mainly because of the art and the writer. Mm-hmm. I did sit down, read it, enjoyed it enough to go out and buy the second volume. I want to see what happens next. Mm-hmm. I want to see what happens to Roland after he's gone into his coma or been sucked into the, the, the pink marble. Um, I, I want to see what happens next. Is it super great? Mm, it's not super great, but I think it's worth picking up and checking out if you fall into that category of, of uh, fantasy, mm-hmm. of a different kind of fantasy. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up in this case. So there you go. The Dark Tower from Marvel Comics, The Gunslinger Born. And that about wraps it up for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening, being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, we're looking at Bean World. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and beans are the magical fruit. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers, and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well, I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be In the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa.
major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2010.